Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that, though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to your emperor as a supreme authority, or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing good things, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves. Show proper respect to everyone, love the family of believers, fear God, honour the emperor. Sue and I uh, live in a street that has a childcare centre, uh, which means that parking is always at a premium in our streets, but especially at certain times of the day. And it was a little while ago, I, I came out of my place, so I jumped in my car about to back out my driveway to head off to a meeting, you know, that was scheduled, and looked through the rearview vision mirror and saw that there was a car parked halfway across my driveway. Now, I don't know what goes through your head when that sort of thing uh, uh, happens, what goes through your mind. You might be wondering what goes through a pastor's mind at that, that time. It's pretty well the same as what goes through your mind, you know. And uh, I went out, I had a look at the, the car, and I worked out that it was one of the, not a parent dropping off a child, but actually one of the workers who lived in the childcare centre. So I knew he was sort of bedded down for the day, halfway across my driveway, and there was no way I was going to get out. So here are the thoughts that were going through my head as I reflected on the situation. So I was, think, I was irritated, right? And I was thinking, he has been so selfish, you know, parking across my driveway. And then I started thinking about my options moving forward. You know, what sort of things could I do? Uh, things like let down his tyres, you know? <laughs> Slash his tyres. <laughs> Call the parking inspector. I mean, he was being, you know, he needed to learn a lesson after all, and uh, that was the way. But fortunately, I'd been reading through 1 Peter, genuinely reading through 1 Peter, and this was the statement that came to mind. Chapter 2, verse 12. Live such good lives among the pagans, among unbelievers, that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. So how do I apply this to my driveway problem? You know, well, see my good deeds. Okay, so it was really important no one saw me slashing his tires, okay? <laughs> Vital, really. But, you know, but seriously, how, how do I commend God by the way in which I live? Now, you've been working through uh, this letter, 1 Peter, and you've been reflecting on how good it is to be in the family of God, the mercy, the grace, and the forgiveness of God. Then last week, the passage immediately leading into the one that we're reflecting on today, it, verses 4 to 11, it picks up on the whole idea of vocation, you know, the living stones, the priests, um, offering spiritual sacrifices. And the, the picture is that our vocation as children in God's family and what does that look like 24-7? And that's exactly what we start getting into from today and over the next three weeks. What does it look like to serve God in his world? Uh, and in chapter 2, verses 11 and 12, 
you get sort of the theme statement that governs the next chapter that we're going to come back to again and again over the next couple of weeks. Okay, verses 11 and 12. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. So foreigners and exiles, not not so much citizens of Australia or any other country, but seeing our identity is tied up with God and his eternal family. That's the picture there. We're told not to sin. Don't fit in with the world's values or treat God like he's, he's just a block of wood and doesn't exist, okay? Uh, live good lives among the pagans. Now, the, the good idea here, the good lives, are particularly, I think, in 1 Peter, acts of kindness or mercy or generosity. That's the sort of idea that flows through here. And why do it? Why live good lives? Well, so God will be glorified on the day when Jesus returns. That is, our, our deep desire is that when Jesus returns, the people we share life with now will be his followers. Those sort of themes come through. And then what we, we get are three sort of case studies or examples that flow out of that. So from verses 13 to 17 that we're looking at today, how do we commend Jesus to non-Christian authorities? Uh, when you go to verses 18 to 25, which we'll come to next week, how do believing slaves commend Jesus to their non-Christian masters? And then in two weeks' time, we'll come back to the beginning of chapter 3, where uh, how do believers commend Jesus to their unbelieving spouses? Now, let, let me say right up front, we have some of the most controversial verses in the Bible in this next little section. And I want to admire Cam Maxwell's wisdom inviting me to preach on this. <laughs> find difficult passage, get in other preacher. Very good, really. But So it is, it is controversial, right? And you'll do well to read through, think about the challenges, issues like slavery or submission in marriage. But don't be just locked in on the case studies because I think the principles here have much broader application, okay? So... Uh, it will help us in every situation, I think, where we engage with unbelieving friends or family or neighbours or at work or at school or at uni or a sports club or when we're shopping. Uh, this really flows into all of life, even though we've got case studies that help us think through the principles as we go. Okay? So let's duck into the first example, submitting to human powers or authorities. Look at chapter 2, verse 13 with me. Submit yourself for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor as supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. Now, we need to remember, first century, Christians are regarded as a, uh, a potentially subversive religious sect. The Roman Empire was full of religions and gods, the emperor, he was regarded as a god, but Christians were standing up and saying, no, no, there's only one god, and it's not Caesar, it's not Nero. So they were actually quite countercultural at this point and really causing a bit of a stir. We need to remember that human authority in the first century 
was quite different to ours in 21st century Australia. Uh, the emperor was a dictator. Uh, there were very few checks and balances on his power. In Australia, our situation, we live in a democracy. There's accountability, at least at different levels when it comes to prime ministers or premiers or mayors. And yet the interesting thing here is that Christians, first century Christians, are being told to submit to rulers who could and did abuse their power. Now, I want you just to feel the weight of that. They're being told to submit to the unreasonable and the overbearing and the harsh. It's not what the rulers are meant to do, but that was certainly the context that we're talking about. Notice they're told to submit themselves. Now, this is a voluntary submission. Choose to bring yourself under someone else's authority. Also notice it's submit, not obey. Now, I'll come back to that in a while, but it, it is something just to notice at this point. But having said that, you might, we're still required to recognise legitimate authority. The assumption here, uh, I think as you read this passage, is that rulers won't always be wise or reasonable or correct in their exercise of authority. Verse 14 tells us that rulers are meant to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. Uh, but quite honestly, emperors of the first century, uh, they weren't known for doing that. Uh, they were known for being harsh and difficult. So we are talking about submission, even when rulers are not necessarily being just or fair. Now, why? Why would, they, why would Peter encourage believers to do that? Well, notice again in verse 13 what it says. It is for the Lord's sake, right? The Lord's sake. That is, you honour God by respecting and submitting to the authority of those that God has placed in these ruling roles. And the goal of it, verse 15, it's God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Now, ignorance sounds uh, a bit harsh, but really I think the focus here is on their ignorance when it comes to thinking about who God is. And then you get it um, sort of summarised in verse 16. Live as free people, but don't use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves. It's interesting in Australia, as in most of the Western world, uh, freedom, I think, is equated with self-determination. That is, the ability to decide what I will do for me, that's freedom. But Christians, our understanding of freedom is quite different. See, God has freed us from self-focus, self-service, so that we can serve God and others around us. So we're described here as God's slaves, his servants. And to be a slave of God is true freedom. That's the way in which we're being told. That's the way we live as uh, God's people in this world. Now, what I've done is I've just quickly worked through this section and just highlighted some issues. And now what I'm going to do is just spend an extended time thinking about the implications of this passage for us.
okay? That's the framework of what we're talking about. But what does it mean for us in 21st century Adelaide? Let me make just a few points. The first is uh, we are to have proper respect and authority and honour for those who are in authority. Uh, Australians by nature, we are cynical, anti-authority, uh, we cut down tall poppies, we're happy to criticise those in public office. In fact, it's a national sport uh, to do that. It's just the way in which we function. When uh, polls are done in Australia, it shows us that politicians are some of the least trusted and respected people in the whole country. But can I say that is not to be the culture among God's people. Uh, we're to be the people who pray uh, for our Premier, uh, for our Prime Minister, for MPs, for police, for school principals, for university chancellors, for teachers, for anyone who exercises authority in our land. We pray for them and we submit ourselves to them. Now, that submission, I want to suggest to you, will generally equate with obedience, obeying those who have authority over us. And most of the time, that makes enormous sense. You know, like if I said to you, how many of you drove down the left-hand side of the road to get here this morning, right? You'd all put up your hand, the drivers would anyway, you know, of course you did. How many of you murdered people on the way to church today? Probably no one, you know, like you think those are good laws to have. You think criminals should be punished, right? Uh, absolutely. If I said to you, how many of you stuck, strictly speaking, to the speed limit on your way here today? we might get a slight variation on that one because we start to move into that level of individualistic self-determination. You know, we, we, we draw our lines in convenient spots. Friends, we're not to hang loose to authority. We are to submit to authority. And generally, I think that'll be obedience. So, for example, I think it means that, as a believer, you will think it's a good thing and you will adhere to the speed rules on the road, uh, because you actually are honouring God who you serve in this world. That's the motivation that we have here. Are there limits uh, to this submission or obedience? It's interesting, if we went to a different part of the New Testament, say to Acts chapters 4 and 5, two occasions in those chapters, Peter, who wrote this letter, 1 Peter, he's arrested. The religious authorities at the time, they, they tell him that he must not speak any more about the Lord Jesus Christ, make it very clear. And both times, Peter says he must obey God and therefore he disobeys or doesn't submit to the, the leader's instructions for him. Now come back to 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 17, and see the distinction that's made at this point. Peter says we are to fear God and to honour the emperor. First century Roman world, the emperor was regarded as a god. Peter is absolutely clear there is only one god and you are to fear and respect him. The emperor, he is God's servant, and therefore you honour him. 
But your allegiance must always be to God as a first priority. Now, just as an aside, um, if you go back to Acts 4 and 5, can I say that Peter and the apostles were doing good? When you read through those chapters, they were healing the sick, caring for the poor, uh, doing all sorts of kind things to many people, but doing good doesn't actually silence the talk of foolish men or prevent them from being threatened or suffering persecution. We, I think we need to have clear in our head that doing good in our 21st century Australia won't guarantee that we'll be loved by the people around us. If you're looking for a book just to uh, chase this one up, uh, Steve McAlpine wrote the uh, Christian Book of the Year about 12 months ago uh, called Being the Bad Guys, where he tries to intersect into this space of thinking about representing God will in a culture that has no time for a lot of Christian thinking. I think it's a, it's a really helpful framing uh, as we think about it. So when will we have to choose between God and human authority? When does that happen? I think it'll happen on the issue that Peter actually wrestled with in Acts 4 and 5 when it comes to uh, living in a culture where the authorities might say you're no longer free to speak about the Lord Jesus Christ. I think we, we're faithful to God at that point and not to the, uh, the ruling authorities that surround us. Uh, but let's move away from that sort of core issue. Let's take it out an extension. So we're just, Cam was just asking questions about COVID and people being tired and that sort of stuff. It was interesting to see the way in which Christians tried to wrestle with the rules for their meeting together as God's people during the COVID period. Okay, should we uh, obey the authorities when we were stopped from meeting together uh, or when, our, you know, we were restricted in the way we could meet or the distance or whether we could sing or not or there were all sorts of rules and series of rules uh, that got raised. Now, I know that when I now start to talk about this, I am dividing the room up, right? I, I get that. Uh, so just try and be patient with me before I give you the outcome of my thinking. But uh, uh, yeah, let's wrestle with the issue because I think it's a real one. We know in Hebrews 10, we're told that we shouldn't stop meeting together. Uh, and therefore, when people heard the government saying, well, don't meet together, they were saying, well, I'm back in an Acts 4 or 5 situation, being told uh, that I must... Stop doing something God tells me to do. I, I don't think they were parallels and I don't think that was necessarily the right conclusion. The government were making rules for a general good situation, a public health uh, situation. I think we're in a context where actually it was difficult to know factually what the best thing to be doing was at the time. We're all wrestling with that. It seems to me that's exactly when you want a government to step in and try and establish some principles for taking care of the people. I don't think Christians were being targeted. You know, everyone else is allowed to meet however they like as often as they like, but Christians, no, you mustn't. Uh, that is, we're caught up in a general good and general rules situation when it came to exercising that sort of thinking. Um, I think generally we're comfortable for the government to establish rules for our safety as we meet. So, for example, you're living under tight government restrictions as you meet this morning. 
because we have fire regulations, we're not allowed to block off the exits in case of emergency, things like that. We're happy to comply with those sorts of rules. Like, it seems to me that we're much more into that sort of space. And yet I heard Christians often saying things like, the government can't tell me what to do, that sort of phrase. And I thought, I'm pretty sure that's what they're there to do, actually. And I think the Bible says they are as well. Yeah. So, well, the government can't, uh, with the vaccination stuff, can't tell me what to put into my body. Uh, and when it comes to my rights over my body to do what I like with my body, I don't think it's Christian. That is, I think there's an issue there to wrestle with, but understand the principle that underlies it is not a particularly Christian principle, I don't think, into that sort of space. Now, I, I know for some of you, that'll comments I've just made will be red, ragged or bull. That's the privilege of coming and speaking for a couple of weeks and disappearing, right? You know, I do get that. I'm really happy to engage in this sort of thinking, but I'm really after the principle that we're talking about here as we try and honour God and respect authority as we move forward. Let me change the lens slightly. Let's say we have a doctor who's compelled by law uh, to euthanise patients, and he's pretty convinced that the Bible says to him or her that that's not appropriate. As a matter of conscience, I think it's entirely appropriate for a doctor not to take that step uh, and to stand against uh, the government authority at that point. Say so I hold a marriage licence that's given to me by the federal government, Say I was compelled, if I was a holder of that licence, to um, get to a point where I had to conduct polyamorous weddings. You know, three people came to me and said, we want to get married to each other, and the government rules have been changed to permit that as a possibility. I wouldn't be able to do that. Right? So I'd have a choice there. I either refuse to marry or I give up my marriage licence. I have options there as I try and work out what it means to be faithful to God. What about uh, different lens, human rights protests? Um, you can think about the last couple of years, the protest marches in Hong Kong, or the Black Lives Matter marches, or some other issue that you might feel passionate about. Uh, say you live in a context where you want to march and protest against those sort of things, but the government says you're not allowed to march to protest at that point. What do you do? March, not march. Uh, what's, what's the right thing to do? What would my advice be in that situation? I'd say, honour God, do good, serve the Lord to win the salvation of many. Okay? That is, I haven't given you an answer, except I've given you principles to work it out. I, I think there's, there's space here for Christians coming to different views as we wrestle with complex situations. However, can I say that even if you profoundly disagree uh, with what a government or authority is saying or doing, we are always required in that context to, do, to disagree both with respect and honour to those who are in authority. I think the risk sometimes that we have as believers is that when we get upset by something the government is doing, we get all shouty, uh, you know, we get sort of shrill in our protesting and point out how unchristian the ruling authorities who aren't Christian are being, you know? That is, I think there's always a place for grace and generosity 
and measured response as we object to something uh, in that sort of space. Let me move on. Uh, to what degree, therefore, as a step further, should we engage in the political process uh, as, as believers? We are in a democracy. Governments are accountable. Decisions are subject to scrutiny. Here, here are a few thoughts. I think believers who are of age, they, they should vote. That is, we're legally required to do so at federal and state levels, but it is the way in which our country is set up so that we can hold politicians accountable. That's the first thing. Second thing is, it seems to me totally appropriate for us to write and lobby and try and persuade lawmakers to exercise power for good, uh, according to what we think is good for the society within which we live. That, those are good things to do. So currently, uh, debates around euthanasia or freedom of speech, it does seem to me that they are appropriate situations to be writing to those in authority and expressing a Christian view and how you think that will be helpful for us as a, as a culture. But can I now say we need to understand the limits of getting good laws passed and to be clear about that. The goal of submitting to authority is actually not to get good laws passed. It's at best a good secondary outcome. So the main reason for getting good laws passed is so that unbelievers might, in the words of uh, 1 Peter chapter 2, they might see your good deeds and glorify God in the day he visits us. That is, always in our mind, the salvation, the, the people being brought into the family of God, that's our primary motivation in all this space. It's always at the centre of what we do. And what we need to recognise is that good laws don't help anyone become Christians. Right? It's actually, by definition, an impossibility. Good laws can modify behaviours. There's no question about that. But modified behaviour doesn't help you become a Christian. It doesn't actually get you into the kingdom of God. Being a better person doesn't make you a Christian. Never does, never has. Can't, can't be done. Right? The only way a human heart can change is not from the outside in, change of laws, but actually changing the human heart, which only God by his word and spirit can do. Right? That's the profound things that needs to happen. And then what happens when doing good from a Christian perspective is regarded as doing bad? Uh, because I think we're very much in that space. The big press around Andrew Thorburn and the um, Essendon situation, uh, any time the question of sexuality in a Christian perspective comes up in our society, we're no longer regarded as being quaint, which is what Christians were maybe 30, 40 years ago. We're regarded as being enemies of kindness and gentleness. Our views are regarded as being, uh, what was what Peter doesn't say, abhorrent? Or he used a very strong word anyway, in terms of, you know, that's the way in which our 
our culture operates at this stage. So if our goal is for people to come into the kingdom and we want them to see our good deeds, should we make sure we don't speak on these issues because they definitely won't think we're being good if we do? So how does, how does that work? And I don't think we can be silent at that point. I don't think Jesus was. His views were quite unpopular. Uh, these days we talk about Wilberforce as the great hero of the abolition of slavery, but at the time he wasn't. Uh, he was hated by lots of people for the views that he had about the human condition flowing out of what the Bible said. Uh, I, I think we'll always find ourselves in situations where we're speaking unpopular truths. And even when we do it, though, can I say we always do it with grace and winsomeness? Uh, I really do hear too much shoutiness coming from the Christian quarter right now as we try and protest and argue for our rights. But understand, it's never about our rights. It's never about our rights. It's always about what promotes God and his gospel and how to win people for the sake of Christ. Final thing is just to keep remembering that uh, we're to be good citizens in this country, but always remember that we belong to God. We're slaves of his in this world. Our allegiance is always there. My passport says I'm Australian. That's of secondary importance. Uh, my heart is stamped with saved by the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, that, that's what dominates our thinking and our perspective. Our first allegiance always to the Lord, even though we do honour other people in our land because we're good citizens. Let me, um, let me try and wrap some of these ideas together. We've obviously just explored a few things. There'd be stacks more we could uh, look at. Coming back to first principles, don't ever under, underestimate the importance of doing good. Uh, you might be wondering what I did did I go for the, uh, you know, the parking inspector slash tyres let down? Which option did I choose? You might have been wondering where I got to on that. And I had, a, I had been reading through 1 Peter. So I sat and I just thought, what, what, how do I respond? Calm down, you know, I'm late for my appointment, don't worry about that. How do I respond here in a way that will commend the gospel? I've lived in this house opposite the childcare centre for 30 years. Right, so I think you've got a fair idea that I'm a Christian, if not a pastor, probably both. Right? So I was trying to think through, okay, how do I, what do I do here? So this is what I did. I went across to the reception area of the childcare centre and I explained I lived across the road that I thought possibly one of the people who worked in the childcare centre had parked their car across my driveway. It was making it impossible for me to get out. I'd love to get out. If that was the case, is it possible that the car could be moved? Now, what I was trying to do was not make it about, all about me, although it was about me, do you understand? But, and not to be angry or peeved about my rights being trodden on, but just trying to be gracious as I possibly could. As I did that, the receptionist looked up. She could see the car parked halfway across my driveway and she said, and this will give you something, she went, oh, Rodney, again, right? It was like that, right? He was obviously a popular person among the staff. <laughs> and uh, now, what I could have done at that point was piled on, because I felt a little bit the same about Rodney, to be quite honest. <laughs> uh, 
But uh, I said, no, 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 look, it's, it's not a big deal. Right? And uh, like, it would be really helpful if he didn't do it. But if you could just organise for him to move it, that would be fine. And that's what I was trying to do. It took me a little, took me a moment to get myself in that headspace, but I was genuinely trying to think, how do I actually commend the gospel, the window of God's grace and goodness into that space, even in a very indirect sort of way. I remember seeing an interview with uh, Tim Winton. Uh, he's a fairly famous Australian novelist. And Andrew Denton interviewed him on the ABC and asked him a question about how Tim Winton, how he became a Christian. This is the story he told. He said his father was a, uh, a motorbike policeman in Perth back in the 60s, and he got knocked off his motorbike while on duty by a drunk driver. As a result, he was in hospital, he was in a coma, uh, he had fairly serious damage to his body, and the rehab was a long process. It was really tough for his family. Apparently, uh, Winton's father was a really big bloke and his mother had no possibility, once he came home, of getting him out of bed to do anything, you know, to the, the bathroom or to look after him in any sort of way. Winton at the time, he was just five years old, so he couldn't do anything either. And then, apparently, the news about this accident got out into the neighbourhood and one day a bloke came and knocked on the door and uh, he just said, G'day, my name's Len. I hear, you, but you're, I hear your hubby is a bit crook. Is there anything I can do? That was just the question he asked. And it was Len Thomas, a local guy from a church who just wanted to help out. This is what Winton, Tim Winton said. He said, he just showed up and he used to carry my dad from his bed and put him in the bath and bathe him, which in the 1960s in Perth was not the sort of thing you saw every day. And uh, Winton said this had uh, this act of strange sort of sacrificial kindness was the doorway through which the whole Winton family walked through uh, to hear about Jesus and in due course become one of his followers. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 12. Live such good lives among the pagans, among unbelievers, that they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Friends, can I just say, do not underestimate the power of doing good? Can I pray for us? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you that you're a, a gracious God, you're, you're kind and merciful. Uh, Father, we thank you that we live in a world uh, among people who are yet to know of your kindness and mercy. And, and Father, our deep desire is that we'll be generous in the way in which we care for and communicate your wonderful gospel to others. Father, we pray you'll just uh, make carols and Christmas events wonderful times for people to be in our midst and to get a glimpse of how good you are. And Father, we do ask that uh, that, that grace will be magnified in our own context. Help us to, to uh, reflect that in the way in which we treat those in authority over us in different ways. 
so that they will know that uh, our allegiance to you actually makes us more faithful citizens or employees or whatever situation we find ourselves in. Uh, Father, we do, we do pray that you will use us uh, to communicate your wonderful name to all the world. And we ask it in Jesus' precious name. Amen.